Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Are we live? We're live. No, no belta to start us off today. Are we broadcastering? We are. The public is listening. Welcome to Stories Are Soul Food, episode 52. It has been one year. Two quarters and two pennies. One year. <laughs> I was going with one year of stories are sold One year. One year. I, I prefer to think of change. It is indeed two Have quarters. Have we been doing this for a year? We've been doing this for a year. One whole year. That's bizarre. So I thought- How do we still possibly have things to say after a year? How are we not out? Well, this is why I was going to restart us and say- We're talking about all the same things over again now? <laughs> well, yeah. For our new, okay. our new audience, I mean, I, we should explain what we okay. do even in this do podcast. We have, do we have a new audience? Yeah. Okay. This is Stories Are Soul Food. I'm Andy Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brian Cole. <laughs> My voice cracks. <laughs> At least Brian Cole, occasionally, occasionally- Struggles to find his man voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's but 50, very rarely. It's rarely. the 52nd episode. <laughs> it's the cold weather outside. And by 52nd episode, we mean that as number 52 as opposed to this is going to be 50 seconds long. Yeah, but I actually thought it would be more interesting rather than talking about most popular episodes. It'd be more interesting to talk about our least popular episode, which was non-human main characters <laughs> <laughs> episode five really getting no love because that was one of my favorite episodes <laughs> episode five so this is why it's really helpful for me to not pay any mind to who's listening or how many people are listening because that was a great episode that was, <laughs> that that was, was a great <laughs> episode non-human care so we should just do that one again right now and see yeah. if this can break the record for least listen to episode yeah no we shouldn't do that yeah, but, I cracked up because that's one I actually think about regularly in my actual job of being an editor. <laughs> Non-human <laughs> characters. I mean, some kids swear by those books and will, hopefully they don't really swear, but they swear by those books and won't read anything else. It's, you know, there's a phase of life where those non-human books are yeah. a big deal, are super fantastic. But that's, yeah. that's funny. I'm a little surprised. Yeah. I wonder if it's just... Our most popular, most listened. Let's blame the marketing for that episode. I think that is what it is. I mean, it was early on. You all didn't know what was good yet. Everyone you all listening. are the listeners. Okay. You're fools. You didn't yeah. know that was such a fantastic episode. Go back and listen to it now. Yeah. Do we need to talk about the mission statement of this podcast? Yeah, but- Now that we're at the one year mark? I think so. Okay, go for it. Do it. See, I knew you were going to do that. The, <laughs> the mission statement of this is to teach you how to consume stories. So patronizing. Yeah. <laughs> serve food it's we're trying to serve it's the master class on we're talking about stories well what's the image we're looking for as soul food i can't think of what metaphor that might be <laughs> basically thinking of stories as nurturing imaginations and souls catechizing loyalties and loves instincts so your children and you are all characters in a story and this is how you groom yourself prepare yourself to live well is yeah. you, you consume, you feed, you feed on stories. So food for your souls, for your imaginations and for young souls. And so we discuss books, stories, good ones, occasionally bad ones. Yeah. Because malnourishment is, you know, just the flip side of proper yeah, nourishment. It's a, it's a big deal. So basically we talk a lot about books and lots of different books, wrapping around all around that metaphor of food and eating and consumption. Also movies. 
movies. And also today, for example, we're talking about Empire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about? Because this is our 52nd episode, so we are- Building one. Building an empire. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. We are unstoppable. Not just any empire lasted for one year. I am not yet Alexander. I cannot yet weep for there are no more worlds to conquer. I am still able to say there are many worlds to conquer. Yeah. Plus the Roman empires, Otho, Vitellius, those the guys, they they had three, three emperors in one year. Yeah. And we're still on the two of us. So So the reason why we're talking about empire is because of something that bothers me a lot and Basically, it it can all boil down to foolishness and authors as opposed to wisdom. And so one of the reasons why Lewis and Tolkien remain two of my favorite authors and two favorite authors for so many people, I am not unique in my affection for them is because they were two deeply wise men. They were very insightful, not just in the nature of humans and humanity, but nations, kingdoms, you know, the movements of peoples, the rise and fall of, of kingdoms, empires, and so on. And what you have so frequently in, in books, in stories, especially for children, is authors who mask their own foolishness with a desire to write for kids. So I'm writing for kids, and so I therefore don't need to understand things, or it's okay if this is inaccurate, or this is just pedantic. This is- Yeah, or so dumbed down. It's yeah. Santa Claus, Santa Claus level. Yep, this is really, really dumb and trivialized. Right. And so I don't have to do my homework. So I don't have to understand what would cause a revolution. I can just say a revolution is starting. I don't have to actually get what would occur. If you read Prince Caspian and you have, you know, this kid with his tutor and then the assassins are coming, you have something straight out of, you know, straight out of history. Like this is the kind of thing that's happened often. It's understood by the author. And the kids pick up on it very, very quickly. They understand the the peril, the duress, you know, the the risk here of an heir to the throne needing to be eliminated, and so on. I objected to the Hunger Games because the the author just whiffs on what would cause a revolution. You know, two teenagers threatening a suicide pact in a like a Thunderdome kind of a death battle. Two teenagers might die. Oh no. Oh, oh no, we must, we must stop the games. It's just, it's just stupid. And so empire is one of those things that authors now, Christian authors, secular authors, any authors treat with a kind of triviality and just the assumption of guilt because it is, has been condemned. You know, colonialism has been condemned. Empires have been condemned. They've been written off as evil a long time ago. And so in books and stories, the emperor is uh, evil. He is evil automatically. The empire is the evil empire. Evil, yes. Yeah, and it's just, it's by default, without any clear thinking or wisdom. So emperor would be the king over not just your own country, but your country now also controls many other countries. Yeah, so somebody who's ruling countries not his own, that are now his own. And if you think like a believer, if you think like a Christian and you think with wisdom, you try to think like Solomon, you try to grow more like God and you want to write stories, you want to write with wisdom and insight into what is good and what is bad, but really, and what actually motivates people in awful ways, you know, power, money, and so on. And what, what, uh, common grace exists in all men, you know, what, 
good and righteous things do all men yearn for, strive for, even though they're broken and bent and fallen. And you have to discern the difference. And so we live in a time when if you try to, in any way, say something nice about an empire or, or do anything short of just massively condemn colonialism or empire, then it's dismissed out of hand and people react. I mean, isn't that justified in some ways though? I'm thinking that's, well, that's the discussion. The answer is no. Empires (laughs) No, empires are fantastic, but they're fantastic in the same way that boats are fantastic. You know, they can be used for evil. They can be used for good. Okay. It's not, it's not just bad. It's not like, uh, it's not like theft. It's different. So. Okay. So the act of ruling over a bunch of other people, the, there's nothing the Actually act, wrong about the that. act of asserting your authority over a jurisdiction that is was not yours previously and is now yours because you have taken it. There's something that we just assume we take for granted because of of the cultural moment in which we live. We assume that that's bad, and we don't examine it. We don't look at it, and so so why isn't it theft? Who are, what are we? Okay, so if it, let's let's make it easy. If you're walking, if you're walking down the sidewalk past a dubious looking little house, a squat little house in Cleveland, and you happen to be packing, you happen to have a, you know, a permit and a nine mil tucked into the small of your back. And then you hear somebody, you know, just bellowing rage and some woman screaming hmm. for help and glass shattering and, you know, and, and somebody like yelling threats and the gun firing. Okay. Do you need to do you need to respect private property rights in that moment? Do you need to stand on the sidewalk and say, "Well, it's not my house." Yeah, obviously there's something deeper than that. No, there's, there's immorality. There is immorality going on, which means somebody in there has now waived their, their right, right to pro- private property to their sovereignty. Yeah. Somebody has has lost their own claim on self-governance. Yeah. And so the th- now scale that up. It's like so we all understand that if you hear that you should absolutely get your butt over there. You should be calling 911 and you should get your butt over there and be peeking through the glass. And if you see a dude about to execute a woman on the floor through, you know, through a, a little gap in the curtains, you'd best be going in hot. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it's not your house. You are now a colonizer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I think so, I can see that because you're saying if you are now the Spanish sphere sovereignty, you are now the Spanish entering the Aztec empire as they say, Hey, this is our culture. As we rip the hearts out of thousands of slaves a day and throw their bodies down our temple sides. You know, it's like, you're not allowed to be here. We have a line. You're not allowed to come. And they didn't know that's what they were going to find. But once they did, right. you're saying they had an obligation. No, I, and incidentally, I happen to think Cortez was a, a real piece of work. I don't think he was, um, you know, righteous in any, in any way necessarily, but I will, I will not, and I will never condemn him for the destruction of the Aztec empire. You'll condemn him for- I'll, I'll give him a high five for that. But the fact that his motives were- um, Greed. Less than pure. Yeah. You know, if you hear that screaming and you run off the sidewalk and look through the window and instead of you see a woman on the floor, she's about to get offed by some drunk dude with a shotgun. And past the drunk dude, you see a safe that's open with cash in it. And you say, aha, I'm going in. Like, <laughs> no, okay. Now, now you're more like King Leopold of Belgium. Right. You know, it's like, that's who Extremely was- Extremely heinous acts yeah, to the jungle, you know, right? Yeah. So you're, you are a, a true wretch. 
You yeah. are absolutely wretched. There have been so many imperial ab- abuses, but the fact of like the fact of going into another nation, the fact of entering another person's house, the fact of going in with force and ruling and taking control of the situation does not tell you anything about the morality of the situation at so, all. Okay. The fact that you have entered a house not yours and have taken control and are now imposing your rule of law on that situation does not tell you whether or not you're evil. So empire does not tell you whether or not it's good or bad. Uh, King of kings is another way of saying emperor, right? Okay. And so you're saying- We've come to despise the title. We've come to despise the, the very concept of emperor and empire when we should not. We should despise the abuse of empire, just why, just like we should despise the abuse of any role of authority. So, does that happen on the national level? Then, is that maybe that's where we need to go next? Where does the woman about to be murdered? Right. Does, does that happen on the national level, or are motives sure. ever pure? <laughs> yeah, they should be. Yeah, but the problem. This is actually, incidentally, this is weird. This is where conservatives get all tied up. I'm the farthest thing. In some ways, I'm the farthest thing from a libertarian that you could possibly be. In other ways, I'm very libertarian in my sensibilities because I'm from Idaho. But I happen to think that the golden rule applies to nations. So yeah, wow. I, I don't know why it wouldn't. Right. Because most people would say, hey, you mind your own business. So the dumbest thing that I can think of, like literally the dumbest thing I can think of. Have you got that yet? <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest thing I can think of for a conservative Christian to say when, when looking at a hot nightmarish mess on the other side of the world is we should do nothing because we have no national interest. Mm. That's you looking through the window at the woman about to get offed and saying, I don't see any money in the safe. Okay. That is literally what we did with Rwanda, right? Yeah. We looked at it, said, hey, we know this is happening. There's genocide. Clinton takes a look at it and genocide, but it's like, what's the upside? What's in it for us? And the answer is nothing. Nothing's in it for us. In fact, we would be colonizing Rwanda, which is yeah. named after, or had <laughs> just been finished being renamed for a certain <laughs> colonizers. That was formerly Rhodesia, right? So named after one of the, the parts of it. Yeah, yeah. The, it's the great one of the great colonizers. Yeah, one of the great business corporate colonizers, Cecil Cecil, Cecil Rhodes. Rhodes. Also, Rhodes Scholars, right? Yep, Rhodes Scholars. <laughs> And kind of like Nobel is named after the inventor of the landmine, I think. Is that, am I making that up? Oh, I, think. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think okay. that's true. Just funny. The Nobel prizes. <laughs> Ooh. But um, I'll double check that. Let's just let that stand though. And, and people can correct me if I'm just making stuff up. That might be from my dreams, but I'll double check it. Anyway, yeah. Rhodes of Rhodes Scholar fame of Rhodesia abuses, horrible treatment of, you know, the Africans. So yeah, bad. Empire bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's totally selfish and it's fundamentally about personal gain and national interest, mm-hmm. which is really weird because conservatives, frequently Christians, say we should never go into somebody else's country unless there's clear national interest. Right. And that's the dominant Republican political party, neoconservatism, that yep. idea that we must yep. protect ourselves. Now, some of those people will say, let's go in there because we have large donors and they have corporate interests and we're going to make them a ton of money. That's what they mean by national interest. That's dirty. Others like Bush, who was in fact well-intentioned and you can disagree with his foreign policy all you want, believe that if, if 
the Muslim world wanted to kill Americans, we needed to have a war in their yard, not ours, where we sent our highly trained, highly armed Americans, not our citizenry. So in response to the Twin Towers, you have Marines in Iraq chasing you know, the elusive WMDs. So you're over there out of self-defense. We cannot, out of national self-interest, allow weapons of mass destruction to exist over there. So that's what was said. You know, that's the reason given. Mm-hmm. The reason why we stayed is because we actually drew all the fire. If you, if you were somebody who hated America and wanted to kill Americans, that was where you went. You didn't go to Philly. You didn't go to New York in the same way once, once we opened up that front. So it became irrational and it became an endless war with no, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with it with no real strategy. The fact that we were in somebody else's country doesn't bother me at all. Mm. I mean, that, that is not necessarily. What about the role that oil plays in all that though? Is that where it starts to get messy? You're saying we get over there, realize how helpful it is for keeping control of oil prices right. and those t- kinds of things. And yeah, so the, we just needed more, we needed more principled politicians in that situation. Yeah. So that's, that's a very massive, complicated thing beyond children's books necessarily. <laughs> right. But what I'll say, <laughs> what I'll say this is. This is about stories. Yeah. What I'll, what I'll say is in terms of empire specifically. The golden rule applies to kings. The golden rule applies to presidents. The golden rule applies to America. And if you were a Kuwaiti, if you were a Uyghur, if you were in southern Sudan being hunted down and enslaved, and you're a believer, and you have Christian brothers and sisters who become aware of what's happening on the other side of the world, and they have the wherewithal to get you out without making it worse. They have the wherewithal to take control of the situation and make this stop. Like basic golden rule. You'd be furious if they didn't. Yeah. You couldn't understand it. Yep. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's not oil. There's no oil reserves there for us or whatever. Uh, or there's no big corporate interest lobby group that has bribed us into sacrificing American lives in this interest. You know, it's like, bas- but basically there's a, there's a lot of things that I think would be completely fine empire-wise and even deft. People who are behaving in an immoral way in high-handed immorality have waived the right to self-governance. They do not. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, but the instant they are murdering, abusing, enslaving, they no longer can plead that sovereignty. So for example, if Russia suddenly said, hey, by the way, guys, we have more bombs than you. You have to stop aborting your babies. We're taking over now. You guys have lost all, you know, all right to self-government because you've been murdering tens of millions of people. We really wouldn't have an argument. You'd be like, no, there are babies though. Mm. Like that's not a, we don't have even a fig leaf. Like well, we have this constitution that says that we're in charge of ourselves. Like, no, we're an immoral people. Like we've, we've lost the right to self-governance. When the Picts and the Celts were painting themselves blue and doing horrible and horrendous things to each other, and the Romans showed up and said, hey, so we're in charge now that we're going to actually build roads, and this is against the rules. You're not going to do that anymore. And, you know, fill in the blank. Because the Romans weren't being righteous about that. No, the Romans weren't righteous. They were awful. But the point is, the Celts couldn't say, hey, we have the right to self-government. Like, these rape parties that we have, they're just part of our culture. And, mm. you know, it's like, who are you to say we can't? Mm. It's like, well. You're, the, in, you're I, in the wrong here. Yeah. 
It just, you've lost the ability. So I guess I'm thinking of the British and Indian empire too, because that's yeah. an interesting one, a very Christian, yep. you know, they had missionaries tied to all their regiments. Yep. And then they were telling the Indians things like, hey, you can't burn a widow with her yep. husband. Yeah, alive they say, with that's, her dead that's our cultural tradition. And then the guy famously responded and said, and it's our cultural tradition to hang you by the neck until dead if you do it. Right. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like, so Thai goes to the occupier. In Sri Lanka, after spending a lot of time there, you look at the infrastructure the British built sewers, water, you know, electricity, roads. And then you look at the absolute rotten decay since they just handed it over and left. And yeah, well, what's the takeaway there? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. The takeaway is it's not as simple as Empire Bad. Is it's that, not as simple as Empire Bad. Okay. It, it's not that simple. It is Empire often bad. Government, I think, I think government often bad. Anybody in power often bad. But I don't see much difference in empire being inevitably evil than I do in democracy being inevitably evil. Even though we're currently seeing much, much evil coming from the democracy. You'd yeah. still say it's a tool. So if you, so if you're you saying give, we if you give yeah. an evil people democracy, they will do evil things. And that's what the founders said from the yep. beginning. And so that's, our constitution. if we say democracy, good or bad, we're trained, like instinctively catechized in our narrative to think good. And that's, it's neither. You know, it's like saying gun, good or bad. It's like, well, it depends on in whose hand is it and what's it being used to do. And so empire is the same exact thing. I have no problem whatsoever with the union having told the Comanche to knock it off and just saying, you may not be this anymore. Like, yeah. But the, you do have a problem. I have a problem with absolute problem with how the union treated the Cherokee, how the union treated the Navajo, the how Nez the union treated the, the Nespers. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, you know, right. there's, it's absolutely, there's different ways in which our empire and our Western manifest destiny, our expansion, which was empire. Yeah. There's ways in which it was abusive and evil. And there's ways in which it was absolutely understandable okay, and, and had to happen. Okay. Yeah. And then looking back at that, that's one of the big questions. You wouldn't say, hey, pioneers should not have showed up in the United States. Yeah. Because it's ridiculous. Because even though many people would say, hey, but it was the Indians. Because somebody says, hey, dibs. Right. It's like, yeah, really? But who had dibs before that? You know, it's just, right. it's just weird. It's really weird the way people try to control movements and- my dad said that when we were building a house and I was in junior high, we started and I think it was in sixth grade and then through junior high and high school, chipping away, he and I building this house. I remember watching houses starting to sprout up around us and, and I reacted in this kind of normal Idahoan way of like, you know, yeah, oh <laughs> shucks, you know. Ruined the view. <laughs> Ruined. They weren't even Californians yet. But, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, you know. Everybody always wants to be the last one who's allowed to build. Like mm. you build, and then you say no more. <laughs> like just to bring this full circle, that is the opposite of the golden rule. <laughs> yes, I built, and now I say no one else may build. Nobody else is allowed to. Once I did, and so you know, it's one of those things. People are moving here by in droves right now from around the country, and I cannot blame them. It makes sense. If I was in any number of these states that are doing the things they're doing, I'd be on my way to Idaho right now. Yeah. You know, I'd be on my way somewhere. I'd be packing up and going. So why would I hold it against them for doing what I would do in their shoes? And my family came here in 1970. Does that make me fundamentally different than right. them? The tribe that walked here before 
before other people walked here. Across the Bering Strait. Yeah. If that's where they came from. I actually happen to think that they fled the Aztecs. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. Why would they need to come from Russia? <laughs> yeah. I think they were running upward to get into the cold where the Aztecs didn't like to go. Farther, farther, said the Eskimos. Farther, they'll still find us. Anyway, it's, you can't just get there and say, now no one else may come. Nobody else may come. Yeah. I own as far as I can see. Like, okay, do, do you? Here's a question though. Which message do we need to hear? I'm thinking of like Falwell calling the GIs warriors for Christ as part of yeah. like the Vietnam or, or like how George Bush kind of did, you know, the very, he it seemed like he tied conservative Christianity in with a Republican mission to, uh, to, yeah. to democratize the world. Or, or there's those quotes from guys like Ladine, the neocons who are all like democracy, the single greatest weapon for democracy is the loaded gun or something, some, some crazy sorts of right. quotes like that. I guess you, if it seems to me that the people who need to hear the empire thing are people like us yeah, who are afraid to take the conservatives. Well, more like, <laughs> cause, cause it seems like conservatives have granted the fact that we, yeah, we should be doing this. Weren't they? I mean, I'm talking about real ones. I'm talking about real conservatives, not, oh, okay. not faux conservatives. I mean, people who are more free market, they can be a little more globalist. They can lean libertarian and they think nobody should ever interfere with anybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, but there are plenty of times when you are only going to make things worse. And so making things worse is not, you know, the golden rule. <laughs> right. Okay. So wisdom still required. Obviously. obviously. Yeah. But applying this to stories, if you look at the New Testament, you look at the centurions and you look at the various men under authority who really showed, it's kind of interesting, showed faith so early on, like there are women and there are soldiers who are some of the first that just really stand out. With, I'm thinking of Paul's missionary journey too. Yeah. With the trusted Paul yep. and saved everybody on board. Yep. And so there's just strong faith shows up quickly. Think about how ethically complicated that life was being a centurion in the Roman army. Like I am marching with legions against, you know, the Germans. I am, I am going up into Europe and just conquering. All we're doing is just conquering. Like, because why? Because we're army ants. Like, that's what we do. We're just conquering. And there's no, there's no pretense at all. We are taking wealth. We are, we are taking wealth and glory. We are bringing glory and honor to Caesar. That is it. And that's what these guys are doing. And nobody is saying, hey, dude, you have to resign. I hear there's a vaccine mandate. You know, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's really, really wild how that, that issue gets left. You know, they're, the fact that these legionnaires, these guys are just still in, you know, is, is pretty incredible. So we have to, I think as storytellers and as readers, we have to understand that human beings find themselves in all sorts of situations and morally fraught and morally complicated positions are interesting. They're really interesting for stories, but frequently how morally fraught it is, is the least interesting part of the story. Mm. You know, it's like you, you find people like mountain goats living out narratives in really complicated terrain. Well, I was thinking uh, that you might think, hey, this discussion of empire and policy is way out of bounds. But I find that actually the imaginative food of thinking through these things in a, in a, in a way that would surprise you when you come, come across it on yeah. the page is what good novels do. Oftentimes, yeah. you know, we tend to think of that as an adult novel thing, but I think you're right. 
good kids novels are doing the same thing. Yep. You, you run into somebody with a different view of authority than you have, and it's interesting, and it's on the page. Yep. You know, you know, uh, or you run into somebody with a willingness to use force where you wouldn't have. If we're all just little clones of each other, you can tell when fiction is written by a clone of like the current secular zeitgeist, I guess. And and all of a sudden that it is not interesting anymore. You know, right. it's just kind of a, it's a boring yeah. person. It's it's a it's the NPC. And, and novels and stories are great places for thought experiments. Yeah, you know where you can you can play them out. And and I just watched Dune, and you know the book is the book feels a little little Muslim. You know, there's a lot of Islam culturally in in the stories, but in the film, it definitely skews more Catholic and like complicated medieval frameworks in a faux sci-fi setting. And I say, I mean faux, cause it's just straight up fantasy, mm-hmm. but with all the accoutrement of sci-fi. That means metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the spacecraft. <laughs> right. But you don't quite know. They're not really explaining the tech. You know, it's like, you don't know how much of this is, what kind of power are we dealing with here? But it's a super committed, super interesting film, but watching it is an, is a perfect example of this kind of thing. Here is an author. Here's a storyteller exploring the nature of really powerful houses like Elizabethan England, yep. but on a galactic level, you know, it's like, there's a, there is a galactic emperor and he is doing bizarre, weird things with territories and houses and their aristocracy, pitting them against each other and taking sides and, and you know, it's very, very old world set in the, set in the deep future. And and that's intentional, right? Because Herbert named him Atreides. That's Menelaus's house, yeah. right? So he's yeah. thinking, hey, I want to talk about yep. ancient Greek monarchy. Yeah. Modern world setting. And it actually, it is, it's strike the thing that's funny is the film at least strikes me as far more Northern European. And rightly or wrongly, it's just more well, I guess there's some Russian for sure, but it's like it skews, like it's like, okay, so here's the kind of the Greek Orthodox and here's the here are the Russians and here are the, hmm. here are the Catholics and here are the kind of the Anglican feel and, yeah. and it skews in all these different directions and it's, you know. The intersectional mob was criticizing that movie. Yeah, for, no for both directions, for, yeah, for no both doubt. removing the Muslims and having too much <laughs> Islam in it. <laughs> yeah, both things. But anyway, the, the point is the creators were doing something very, very interesting with complex social systems, which make the world far more compelling than anything star wars has ever touched Mm. there's there's a realism to it like you're really here this is intricate there's an intricacy that is of this place of the real this has happened this is byzantine i mean this is like a very very byzantine Mm. setup rather than star wars which is just good bad and yeah and you will there's the bad dude with the funny breathing and i'm you know star wars is super fun right but there's the bad the bad dude doing the the funny breathing. Here's this really, really basic worldview about goodness and badness. And here are these fuzzy guys, these little cutesies on a forest planet or moon, I guess. And uh, you know, and here's the rebels who talk like modern Americans, coincidentally. So anyway, well, we don't object to that. <laughs> yeah, there's a basically there's a complexity to Dune. It, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about right now, where somebody really is wading through the way power struggles and nations really actually function hmm. and what moves them. And it can be, as Lewis often saw and understood, completely petty, 
They can be all about power. They can all be all about wealth and power and control, but it can also just be vanity, pride, and as basic and petty as it gets. Mm. You know, you can get into World War One basically because of a cousin spat, mm. like family friction and, and cousins who and, can't get along. And courage in that context, it's far more interesting to explore a character with courage. Yeah, in that context, in a big tangled mess. Yeah, of just like this. Ab- absolute mess of grinding nations and so on. So, but right now we live in a moment and a zeitgeisty moment when any kind of colonialism, any kind of empire is immediately dismissed as evil, just knee jerk evil. And Lewis lived in a different time. And so he refers to the emperor over the seas as like a good and wonderful thing. Mm. And that what didn't, it didn't come with any, you know, any kind of negative baggage at the time. Now it, it, is fraught in a completely different way. And Christians just need to be more intelligent and less reflexive than that. They need to actually take a beat and think through things. Yeah. I mean, Cyrus is trying to, he's the biggest emperor in the Bible. I'm trying, I'm trying to think besides, besides the Romans in the new Testament, Cyrus, and he's for sure not a bad character. No, he's not bad. He's also not, shall we say righteous? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm working on a, on a King David project right now. And he's a, he's a slightly complicated individual. <laughs> right. And everybody jumps to Bathsheba, but it's like, no, it's actually, the complexity is in a lot of other places. Yeah. You know, the complexity is just in the, I mean, this is a guy who God spared from going up against David, uh, up against Jonathan and Saul by having Amalekites abduct one of his wives. And so he turns and like hightails it after these Amalekites. And so he's not there when Saul and Jonathan fall, but he is promising the Philistines when they're going up against Israel, he is promising them like, I will know I am a hundred percent with you. I will. Why do you doubt me? Like, it's like, uh, maybe because you're anointed as the king of this nation. Like what's the, <laughs> you know, maybe cause that's your best friend over there. Like this is, and I actually think he would have, I think he would have fought. I don't think he would have turned and joined Saul and Jonathan. I think you he don't was, think so. No, I think he was ready to go. And but so, he kept lying to the Philistines the whole time about where he was sacking everything. Yeah, uh, correct. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Complicated character. He just God tells destroys stories with, a neutral city. And <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, I raided this part of Israel. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was incorrect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not true. But it's complicated character, and God tells stories with those characters. And so Christians need to like part of this. Part of the soul food journey is pursuing wisdom, training those loyalties, training those instincts, and pursuing kind of a a cautious insight into perceiving where actual righteousness is and where we're just reflexive. Like, why are we so reflexively against Jacob in the Old Testament? Why are we so reflexively against Tamar and what she does with Judah? Well, it's not what nice people do. They don't dress up like prostitutes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But the fact is, we have to not be paying attention to the actual stakes of the story. We have to not be paying any attention to how high the stakes were and what was actually happening in order for us to be very judgy of Tamar. Yeah. And and that's true. That is what you did to start this conversation off is saying, hey, stop thinking about this as a choice to murder someone or, or just mind your own business. Yeah. Instead, it's a choice of do you save someone or let them be murdered? Yeah. And that amps the stakes for us in an exciting way so for both as fiction we, and real life. Yes, and as we build our stories or soul food empire, just know that as we take authority over all the other podcasts, it's because they have 
waive their sovereignty through their own bad choices. Yes. <laughs> this is where we start 52. going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If there was a there, if there was a signature noise for Dune, I would make it. But I know. No. I was trying to think of anything. <laughs> the still suit sound. Yeah. Oh, actually, one more thing I need to talk about is a number of people have actually asked how they can support this podcast. Well, listening to it is great. Thank you for doing that. Listen to it, share it. But after many requests, we did finally, after a year, after a year, we did finally set up a Venmo account. So you can, if you really want to, don't feel obligated, buy us a coffee. So First step toward empire is yeah, Venmo. Empire building. So you can find us on Venmo at Stories ASF. Stories ASF, that stands for our soul food. Yep. Stories our soul food, Stories ASF on Venmo. If you want to buy Brian a latte because he only drinks Americanos, if we want to try to get him towards that latte living, high living. While we do this, you will be able to tell if uh, we're being grateful and by the appreciative soft by the sound of, of our slurping, <laughs> by the sound of slurping in future, future episodes. So some have already found it, uh, at least one person. I think I just set this up. Yeah. So we already have one round purchased by a supporter. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, we've set that up because uh, by popular demand. But again, don't feel obligated. Feel free just to listen and share. The empire will will grow. Yeah. Inexorably. This has been episode 52. Of the SASF podcast. SASF. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out C.R. Wiley's In the House of Tom Bombadil. It's an analysis of one of the most delightful and mysterious characters in all the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. You can order today at canonpress.com.